Hola amigos, soy Gustavo Cuervo y me encanta estar en Ride and Talk eh, con Andy y con las motocicletas BMW. Hey, my friends, I'm Gustavo Cuervo and it's a pleasure for me to stay with uh, Ride and Talk with Andy and all of us in uh, this uh, podcast. Thank you. Hi everyone, Andy Jukes here and welcome as always to Ride and Talk. Before we start today's podcast, I just want to give you a quick test that I know you'll enjoy. Today's guest, Gustavo Cuevo, has written this cool new book about 100 years of BMW Motorrad. We'll be talking about that later, of course, among many other things. But inside the book there are these QR codes you can scan and hear the engine sound of various bikes across the years. I'm just going to play three or four of them now, so listen carefully and see if you can identify them. Here we go with the first one. was clearly a parallel twin, not a boxer engine, and one of the most fuel-efficient, underrated adventure bikes out there, in my opinion. Yep, it was the F800 GS. Okay, here's the next one. This was pretty easy, I guess. Four cylinders, incredible power and precision, and a bike to own the racetrack on. That'll be the awe-inspiring S1000RR then. Listen up for the third. smooth is that? How many cylinders do you need for such an abundance of power? Does it matter? Ah, the joy of six and the thrill of the K1600. Should we do one more? Okay, this one's maybe not so easy, but we had to include a boxer in there, didn't we? get it? It was the game-changing R80 G-S, and it's a nice link to today's guest, who has ridden this and every GS since on many trips around the world, amassing over 2 million kilometres on five continents. He's also a brand ambassador, a motorcycle journalist, and if you've ever seen the motorcycle film teams at the Olympic Games and other major sporting events like road marathons and cycling races, he's in charge of organising all that too. Even though he's in his early 60s, He's showing absolutely no signs of slowing down, and it took a global pandemic to keep him away from his beloved motorcycle travels. 
While grounded in Madrid earlier this year, he wrote the aforementioned book we'll chat about soon. But let's start our story in the early years of this century, when our paths first crossed, and he'd made a name for himself leading round-the-world relay tours on BMW GS bikes for those who had the ambition, but not the time or money to do the whole trip in one go. So welcome to Ride and Talk, Gustavo. It's great to have you on the line from sunny Spain. Hey, Andy, how are you? Everything is fine here in Spain, but the moment... Yeah, for the moment, for sure. Now, our paths first crossed in 2005, I think, when I wrote a story on you planning one of the most ambitious round-the-world rides ever seen. A relay ride involving four BMW R1200GS adventure motorcycles, 120 riders and 30 stages across the globe. Just tell me where you got that crazy idea. Yes, Andy. Uh, yes, our paths uh, crossed in 25, I think. Uh, when I was re- uh, preparing the logistics for the BMW Riders World Tour, uh, this is very important uh, success for me because uh, I involved uh, a lot of people, 10 different nationalities, uh, riders across five continents. A long time ago now, uh, the people normally has, a, no, has not too much money and has not too much time, especially for to travel around the world. And the people, everybody wants to do a, a tour around the world. But this is very difficult because you need a lot of time and, and a lot of money. With this, uh, uh, this system, broken the world in different stages and the people is rely. The, the motorcycles was the same motorcycles, BMW uh, R1200. Uh, Ten years before, I made the same with the 1100 GS. For, but only for the members of the club, BMW club in Spain. And this is a good system for us because all the people can do it in the, the dreams, but not to stay too much time traveling because uh, I think it's, it's, a, it's a good solution. And we use it several times in, in these years. Yeah, it's a great way to share an around-the-world adventure, that's for sure. But by the time you'd finished... How many kilometers had those bikes ridden in total? Uh, and this tour, in tour around the world with the BMW riders, I think it's uh, 120,000 kilometers by motorcycles. And we have really good experience with the motorbikes because nothing is happening. Yes, of course, it's very uh, used, the motorbikes, but the engines and the main uh, prices is very, very good. I, I, I really surprised for us because we don't need uh, to repair any bikes and all the tour. <laughs> yeah, that's remarkable, isn't it? And you repeated similar challenges several times, not just around the world relays, but also crossing the Americas from top to bottom and back again. Yes, we we use the same the same system for this. We start at uh, Miami. And after go to Canada, and after go to Alaska, and come down all the America to the Ushuaia in the in the south, in totally the south. And after come back to another time to to Miami, the same systems uh, with the rely people. But this time we use the uh, twelve hundred GS water cooler, the uh, the GS Adventure, and we have any any problem with the bikes, any problems. Only, only some punch, of course, uh, but no more, no more. Everything was perfect with the motorbikes. In this, in this time, we 
we write around uh, six, uh, no, close to 100,000 kilometers by bike. But any problem, this is incredible. It is incredible, isn't it? When you think about all the things that can go wrong and didn't, it just shows the reliability of those bikes, doesn't it? Now you've built up a touring company specialising in exciting adventures across the globe. But for nearly 40 years, you've also enjoyed riding solo too. Well, I, I believe uh, there, is, uh, there are three basic uh, ways for travelling motorbikes. Alone, with a couple and in a group. There is a different advantage and disadvantage everyone. If you are traveling alone, it's the most intimate, of course. You need to speak with the native people and everything. But it's a little boring for me because you cannot explain directly with the, um, another people. Yes, it's, you, can, you can explain by these systems, by the technologies, but it's not the same. Stay with the, your wife or your friend in a, in a special place and uh, you share the, the, the emotions in this, in this time. No? The other time, the couples, is the best of the two worlds. No? Uh, you are close to alone and close to a group. And the group is sure is the funniest um, for, um, way to, to travel because the people stay very happy all the time. You can speak with the people on the dinner and, uh, and share a lot of things. Another thing, with the, in the special extreme adventures, special extreme adventures, I think the best is only three people. Because you can, if you have a problem, some people stay with the um, accident, for example, two people, and the others can, can go to, to, to take help. No? If you are more than three people, for example, four people, you have democratic um, empath <laughs> and you have problems maybe sometimes no when when the situation is very very hard no but three people is i think is the the, the perfect number for to ride in extreme extreme really extreme adventures in motorbike yeah that's interesting because in many situations in life three people together don't work so well what is it they say three is a crowd you're also a journalist but like the rest of us your travel plans were brought to a standstill in 2020 so you set yourself a new challenge researching and writing a book on 100 years of history of BMW Motorrad. Where did this idea come from and how did you enjoy the process of putting it together? Yes, and it's true. Um, I could not uh, organize this year the international meetings for motorcycle salons. We, ca we could not uh, travel around the world and the Olympic Games was postponed. I got uh, this work and this project, the book uh, that I had planned in for 2023, but now I have the, 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 the time for to, to do it. And it's where it's, it was very laborious and interesting, looking the, for the information, looking at tens of thousands of uh, pictures from the official BMW and my personal archive. Uh, also from the archive of the International Federation, uh, looking a lot of info. For me, it was very interesting because I discovered sometimes uh, the history of the BMW. I know I know a lot, but um, in any case, we we take another very interesting situations along the history of the of this brand, no? uh, especially for the the journalists, the 
the um, I work in this by in this book with three different uh, journalists. Me and, and one is special one journalist especially in, in sport in motorcycling sports. And these people said to me, I think the BMW is only a flat twin, no more and no competition, no anything. No? And I'm looking now with the info for the for this book and I'm really surprised with this. Why? Because they take a lot of um, victories, especially in the first times in, in, the, in the 20 years, in the 30 years uh, before the, the Second World War. No? And they write all the championships, the win in the championships, and uh, he has four pages from the victories of the BMW in an internationals uh, homologate uh, championship. This is really incredible for 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 him, and for me, it's it's not too much surprise because I know what the BMW at the beginning, at the start of the company, they raised the made a lot of uh, records with the uh, speed records with the compressor, the compressor BMW flat twin. No? This is very interesting, and he's really he's really surprised with this. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? The sporting success was massive right from the early days. It was kind of like a bunch of enthusiasts, clever enthusiasts, engineers basically, who wanted to continually improve their product. And at the time, the only way to do that was on the racetrack, wasn't it? And to be faster than anyone else. So the book itself, what size is it? And are there any special photos that have never been seen before? Okay, the, the site is uh, 32 by 30 centimeters. It's around um, 13 to cross 11 inches. Uh, the heavy is two and five kilos. It's around five pound in five pounds. Has uh, three hundred sixteen uh, pages and seven hundred eight uh, pictures. Uh, it's around fifteen twenty percent is um, unpublished for, uh, pictures because I take from my personal uh, archive and also from the. Um, International Federation uh, Archive. Uh, uh, these kind of pictures are really interesting because never, I never, most of them I never see before, no. And this is very, very interesting. No? Yeah, it'll certainly be interesting for the historians within BMW Motorrad to see pictures of their models in situations and countries where they've never seen them before. Now, you've also been involved with BMW Motorrad for many years as a brand ambassador. So I guess your knowledge of the models, stories and highlights was already quite comprehensive. Yes, I am the BMW Motorrad Ambassador and thanks to this and my quality of journalists, uh, I have uh, tested, I really tested all the motorcycles made by BMW from 80s to now and some, uh, some mm, motorcycles uh, made before the 80s. Uh, I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> I'm really happy. Uh, uh, happy for this, no? Because I I test really uh, all the motorbikes made by BMW from the 80s to here. Eh? This is not easy. No, you're very fortunate for sure. So did writing the book change your perspective of the brand, or maybe reinforce it? Basically, uh, I reinforce I reinforce uh, my consideration of the brands. Learning some unknown aspect, especially from the history and models before the 60, 
Uh, but really surprised was for the journalist before I, I talked to you because uh, he is, uh, he think that the the championship in the world is normally for the Japanese people, Japanese uh, brands. But here's now is really surprised for this. Eh? Uh, and for me, uh, some aspect of the ingenuity, some aspect of the history, especially with the during the Second World War, it, there is two factory BMW in the world, no? one in the East, in West Germany and one in the East Germany. This is a really nice history. Eh? Uh, I, I, I learned a lot of the history and this is, for me it was very interesting to write this book. Yeah, can't wait to look at that book for sure. You're best known outside Spain for your global rides we've already spoken about on a variety of GS bikes over the years. And of course in 2020 we celebrated 40 years of GS. So I'm interested to know how many GS models you've owned over those years and which was your favourite? Yes, I have riding every GS made from the 80. Um, most of all, and in a long and hard off-road rides. Uh, for complicated adventures, for me, the 850 is the best, is my favorite. Uh, in the long in the long trips, long travels, uh, intercontinental travels, the GS uh, 1250 is the best. But even the little one, the GS310, is very fun for, for to ride uh, close to your home with your uh, friends. I, I use it sometimes with my friends, a uh, uh, team, three, four people, no more, and very complicated in the mountains. And so we are very fun. We are, we was very, very happy with this kind of motorcycles. For me, it's very difficult to choose. So I, I prefer everything. Yeah. I guess what you're saying is that the latest GSs are the best, but they've always been good whenever you've been riding them. You're also a fan of older BMW bikes, though, aren't you? So which ones do you own and ride? For me, by the far, it's uh, the 1973 BMW R900S, uh, Daytona, the orange color. No? It was uh, the bike of my dreams when I was young. Eh? For me, this is my preferred model of the BMW. I, I love it this prof this 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 model, and now I have only a um, BMW R one thousand RS. Uh, of course, uh, I call it and, and a special thing because you can with this kind of motorbikes uh, before the eighties you can repair, you can dismounting, you can mounting all the bike totally all the bike only with the little tools and you can repair in every world in the world. This is very important for me because I traveled a long time ago, but this place is very difficult and, and I need to change, to, to do reparations. And everybody can, can reparate this kind of bike. You don't need computers. Of course, the motorcycle, the, the modern motorcycles is very, is very uh, superior to this kind of motorcycle, the old motorcycles. But it's uh, maybe it's a little romantic, no? You can take uh, repair your, your own bikes. Now it's not possible with the the, the modern bikes, the, the because you need the computer, you need the special tools. But of course, the motorcycles now is, is riding very very superior to the old bikes. Yep, they're a lot more reliable for sure. But it was wonderful to be self-sufficient in the old days, wasn't it? 
So I'm going to move on now to the Olympic Games and just talk about that a bit because as we all know, last year's Tokyo Games were postponed due to the COVID-19 pandemic and we're all hoping that the Games will be able to take place later this year and also the Paralympic Games, of course. You're responsible, Gustavo, for leading a motorcycle team in charge of broadcasting the cycling, marathon, triathlon and athletic walking events to the whole world. That's some responsibility. But you've done it, I think, lots of times before. How did you get started in this fascinating role? Well, my my first Olympic Games uh, as head of the motorcycles team was in Sydney uh, to 2000. Uh, before I already had experience in this kind of work with uh, dozens of cycling uh, tours and marathons in, in Europe, um, I started with the Spanish TV for filming the Tour of Spain, Vuelta Ciclista España. Um, and they called to us because uh, we have little fi- famous in, in riding motorcycles in the world. And for this reason, they called to us because... Uh, I, they think uh, these people maybe to do very well. Yes, of course. I, I have a lot of experience also with broadcasting and and uh, to take pictures and and this is the the beginning. No? I work now in the Olympic Games in Sydney, after in Athens, after in Beijing, after in London, and now we are working in, in Tokyo. The, this the next year, no. Uh, we have used um, different bikes, always a BMW. First is a R90 uh, bar six. After we used the K in the Key 75 RT, also the Key 1000 RT, uh, Key 1100 uh, LT, uh, Key 1200 GT. Uh, after 1,300 GT and the uh, R1,200 RT, and now we use in, in Tokyo the uh, R BMW R1250 um, RT, the water golf, of course. Fantastic, brilliant. So you've used just about all of them, really. What would you say makes the perfect motorcycle for TV transmission work then? And what technical characteristics must it have for best performance in terms of engine, low capacity, comfort, all those things? Well, uh, we need a bike uh, what is very stable in low speed for the foot races, but fast in the and very agile to the cycling races, especially in the in the the stand mountains. I must have a great load capacity for the technical equipment and also be comfortable for the pilot and, uh, the, and the passenger, the, the cameraman. Of course, I must have a minimum emissions and so on for uh, no harm to the athletes in their effort. No? Yep, there's a lot of things they have to do for sure. So how are the bikes modified to carry all that extra equipment? Uh, yes, we installed uh, two side case similar to the use used the, the luggage for the but the reinforced and uh, ventilate for the, the transmitter. Uh, we put a transmitter on the rear grill and long a long handens. Specific supports for the camera operators can stand up comfortably and uh, handle hold him firmly. In addition, all 
a, a wiring to install it for communications with uh, realizations and team technicals. And uh, also we use four mirrors, two by side. Understood. What about the engine and gearbox? Are there any modifications in the gearing for extra battery power or engine cooling? I mean, you must spend hours riding at walking speed in hot temperatures for things like running races or riding at relatively slow speeds for the cycle races. A gearbox, a motor, clutch and transmission are not modified normally. If we style the largest possible battery in the motorcycles and also another supplementary batteries in the side cases. Uh, about the height, uh, temperature is, is true. We put a, a fan to work uh, continuously, continuously all the time, and especially with the uh, weather is hot, of course. And eventually, we installed another supplementary fan for the motorcycle in addiction. Uh, also, we have a little uh, fans for for refrigerate uh, the the equipment on the suitcase, uh, but no more, not not too much more. Okay, so fairly standard then. What about those camera operators, though? How do they stay on the bikes without falling off? Because a lot of the time they're filming standing up, aren't they? With both hands on the equipment, so to speak. Well, I think that the most important thing is the experience. No, The, the camera operator must be as absolutely thrust on the rider. And the rider that uh, the operator will not make a very sudden movement by changing the weights of the motorcycle, no? Yeah, and of course you as a rider have to be 100% smooth and predictable all of the time. I guess you also need to be a fan and really understand all these sports that you're covering to be able to anticipate and react to what is happening all around you. Of course, especially the, the, the rider, the pilot, they must know the, the sport, the, his rules, his movements. I must place the camera operator to the best place, but without disturbing the competition in the less possible. We have um, to be, but not to be. Uh, this is uh, the people uh, want to stay the motorcycle, the camera, very close to the competition. And the competition, they want to stay very far no, down, down here, not on them. No? Uh, this is a compromise and the, the experience is, is very important for this, no? of course. Yes, you can't get the best pictures without being right in the middle of the action. But like you say, you almost have to be invisible at the same time. And you mentioned having four mirrors earlier, so I guess you spend as much time looking in your mirrors as looking in front of you, don't you? <laughs> yes, true. A long time looking in the mirrors. Uh, almost uh, continu continuously. Uh, the motorcycle must react immediately to any movement of the competitors, and you need to look before the... The situation is, is problematic, no? They, it's, it's not good the, the cycling, for example, take to you because they use at the, uh, the uh, closing the, the, the wind, no? It's very important to stay all, all the time look at the mirrors. Yeah, I can imagine it's quite stressful for your heart rate. But who else are you in communication with while riding the BMW bike at these events? Because I imagine that there's a radio in your ear and transmissions and information coming at you all the time, just so you know exactly what's happening throughout a race. Yeah, we have a um, direct communication from the director of the program, who is uh, the one who indicates, indicates to us when each uh, camera is on air. Uh, science realization, they continuously inform to us about the race. It is especially the, about the favorite uh, riders, no? uh, favorite uh, competitions.
Uh, also, for possible technical problems, the technical manager has priority on the communication. If uh, we have a problem with the communication and uh, has not a signal, what happened? We need to go out of the of the race for repair very quickly. Yes, I guess it happens. And speaking about that technical equipment, I'm guessing that it weighs a fraction of what it used to. Now everything is digital. Uh, yes, it's true. In the at the beginning, the 80s, uh, we carry a, a video, a videotape recorder, uh, and the weight that's weighted almost 30 kilos more batteries like a track you know uh, this is very very hard no but now it's more easy because the, the equipments are very uh, less heavy and has a lot of uh, properties uh, has a lot of uh, technicals um, it's more easy most more easy but in any case we use more and more technology all the time gps now the the temperature now the distance every time it's going to the motorbike over the motorbike no <laughs> a lot of wires for all the time <laughs> when you're not working or traveling gustavo you live in the madrid area this is a busy urban center so i'd be really interested to hear your thoughts on e-mobility especially since you put that beautiful electric powered concept roadster on the cover of your new book electric mobility is the the near future for the cities i think uh, whenever I can, I, I use the electric scooter around the city, in, uh, but the autonomy is still enough for, for this uh, trip outside the city. Uh, I'm living uh, around uh, 50 kilometers than, than, than Madrid, and we can use an electric scooter because uh, 15 and 50 is 100. For the moment, we need to wait, no? uh, especially for the batteries, but no more. It's, I'm sure in the future, the electric uh, vehicles uh, was the, the, the future for the cities, of course. Yeah, and we've seen some sea evolutions used to help film sports events. So do you think there is scope for more e-powered bikes or scooters in these situations? It must be a lot more pleasant for the athletes not breathing in the emissions. Yes, of course. Electric scooters is already used for the photographers and youths uh, of athletic competitions, but not yet for the TV motorcycles because we have a lot of uh, electricity consume, consume a lot of electricity, and it is not enough for the for the motorcycle in in, in TV. I'm sure in the future it's, it's working especially with the batteries for the motorcycles and for the cars is more capacity but now it's not possible because if you take a, a lot of electricity for the technical equipments uh, you can down maybe can you you can do only four five kilometers it's, it's not it's not the solution for the moment yeah it's work in progress but it'll come for sure so gustavo when the world returns to some kind of normal apart from the big tokyo project what else do you have planned for your travels uh, I'm looking forward to uh, getting back uh, to normal, to go back uh, a great motorcycle expeditions. Uh, in these times, I have begun to prepare uh, several high adventures in Tibet and also in Andes in South America. But we, stay, we still have to wait now. A little more patience. A little more patience. Yeah, hopefully not too long to wait. So tell us, how can people get hold of a copy of the book, please, Gustavo? Uh, yes, everybody can buy the book in my personal web. It's uh, www.gustavocuervo.es.
if you write in a computer Gustavo Cuervo, you can find very easy and uh, you can order the, the book by this site. Brilliant. We'll put that in the podcast show notes as well. So, Gustavo, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. The very best of success with the new book. And for sure, I'll be looking out for you and your team in Tokyo when the Olympic Games comes to town. Take care now. Thank you very much, Andy. And um, greetings for everybody. Thanks, Gustavo. What a life you've led so far. And great news that you're still itching to get out there and keep seeing our wonderful world on two wheels. Good luck with the book too. I should point out to our listeners that it's in Spanish language, but the pictures are fantastic and there are loads of them. Right, that's it from us today. Keep an eye out for Gustavo and his team at the Tokyo Olympics later this year. Or maybe you'll get to meet him at a motorcycling event near you. Or maybe even on the road. Take care and stay safe out there. Bye for now.